I want you to know what a great honor and privilege it is for me to be with you here at Riverside Presbyterian Church this weekend. I've had a really wonderful time um, over the weekend in a number of events, and now I'm very happy to uh, join with you in worship this morning. I'd like to bring greetings to you on behalf of Columbia Theological Seminary. Columbia's mission is to serve congregations exactly like Riverside, to serve the broader Christian witness, indeed to serve the world for the sake of God's kingdom. We have big goals and dreams to do that better and better, and we so appreciate your welcome and your help in that. The scripture reading this morning is from the very last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Listen now to these words, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to Moses, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hand on him, and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, and all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. He knew this was coming. Moses knew. God had told him repeatedly, you will not enter the promised land. 
Moses knew that the culmination of his tumultuous, exhausting, dramatic, and consequential life would be just out of reach. And what a life it was, born into slavery, sheltered by a mother bear of a mother against the prowling Egyptian soldiers sent out to look for little Hebrew baby boys, guarded by a vigilant big sister at the river's edge while he bobbed in a little grass basket, adopted by a young princess brought up in the palace of the pharaoh, his first language, no doubt, the language of the oppressors of his people. As a young man, surely haunted by his tenuous status as an outsider in the royal household, he, he lashed out in rage and killed an Egyptian who was abusing a Hebrew slave. Forced to flee, now a wanted man, he settled far away in the east, in Midian, and once again acclimated to a new culture, a new language, a new family. He married. He settled down. He took up the occupation of a sheep herder. Then, you will remember, he was chosen by God for a big, audacious goal, to lead the people out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. He defied Pharaoh, endured plagues, tolerated incessant, whiny complaints, confronted treachery, suppressed idolatry, persisted through hunger and thirst, and prevailed over challenges to his leadership. It took 40 years and counting, but he did it. And then, at the end, he could only look out over the promised land from his perch on Mount Nebo, just so far and no more. Don't you think God could have gone a little easier on Moses? He hit the rock at Meribah instead of speaking to the rock as God had commanded. This misdemeanor was not fueled by a disregard of God, but rather by sheer exasperation over the ornery people. And yet, God declared that he would not enter the land. And we wonder, was God a little too hard on Moses? Emily Dickinson once wrote a poem about this story in Deuteronomy 34. She certainly thought God was too hard on Moses. The poem begins... It always felt to me a wrong to that old Moses done to let him see the Canaan without the entering. Moses himself seemed to think 
that a wrong was done to him. And he tended to place the blame on the people. At the very beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gave a lengthy speech to the children of Israel. In it, he reminded them again and again of their disobedience and their complaining. At one point, he recalled an argument he had had with God. At that time, I entreated the Lord, saying, let me cross over to see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and the Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not heed me. The Lord said to me, enough from you. Never speak to me of this matter again. From then on, Moses seemed to accept God's verdict. He seemed to understand that on this issue, God would not budge. It is what it is. And so with God's decision firmly in place, this last chapter of Deuteronomy tells the story of the death of Moses. It is a sad and poignant story, not necessarily because of the death of Moses. He was, after all, 120 years old. That's enough even for an Old Testament patriarch. The sadness of the story is that Moses got so far, endured so much, and then he was denied the final steps. Deuteronomy ends right at the cusp of success, just short of victory. This strikes us as a bit awkward. We get actually just a hint of the awkwardness of this ending by those laudatory last three verses. Never has there been anyone like Moses, these verses say. Unequaled in power and might, they say. Well, yes, Moses certainly had a claim to fame. But these verses, right at the end, are a standard literary device in ancient Near Eastern literature. A formula that gets tacked on routinely at the end of a long saga. It is hyperbole intended to puff up the fame of the person who just died. And rightly so. But do you get a hint like I do? Do you get a hint of hand-wringing anxiety? The writer clearly is wanting to cement the reputation of Moses, perhaps because Moses stopped just short of the finish line. If that is correct, 
that the writer was perhaps a little worried about the way that this story ends. And so tacked on balloons and streamers and trumpets. If this is correct, we can reassure this ancient writer that it's okay. It's okay. There is really no need to puff up the fame of Moses. It's not an embarrassment to God's plans that Moses died there on Mount Nebo. And here is where we need to pay attention. The word of the Lord for us this morning might very well be in the stalled journey of Moses. Here is what I mean. The simple reality is that we too, like Moses, often do not get to go in. Our lives contain stories of joyful completion, to be sure. But they also contain stories of coming through a long and difficult journey and not getting there, not achieving, not winning, not entering the promised land. We too, like Moses, are sometimes stopped just short. Moses knew he would not go in. We usually do not have that information. God told Moses directly, we usually must discern, struggle, pray, hope, go forward, step back, not knowing what the limits are for us that God intends. But this we do know, no matter what limits or setbacks or uncrossable Jordan rivers we encounter, we profess that God will go on. The death of Moses did not mean the death of God's promises. The limits of our knowledge, but the persistence of God's plans are very powerfully illustrated in the familiar story, the familiar words of Martin Luther King Jr., which evoke this Moses story. You remember that speech in Memphis the night before his assassination. That speech where he said, and God's allowed me to go to the mountain." And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. These words are filled with premonition, aren't they? But they reveal Martin's keen awareness that God's purposes do not end at our limits. God goes on. 
Maybe this is what we need to hear from Deuteronomy chapter 34 this morning. God goes on. And so we need not fear. We encounter grace at the limits. A beloved former New Testament professor, Dr. David Bartlett, professor of New Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary, died this past fall. I watched a video of one of his sermons and witnessed the humor and the humility and the pastoral kindness that he was so known for. In the sermon, David told a story. During the years of the Civil Rights Movement, two notable church leaders committed themselves to this dangerous work of reconciliation. William Sloan Coffin, the senior pastor at Riverside Church in New York City, and George MacLeod, the founder of the Iona community in Scotland, were both freedom riders in the civil rights movement. On one occasion, they were arrested and put in jail. Someone nearby asked them, two venerable white clergymen, why they did this? Why take such risks? William Sloan Coffin said, I do it because the world is filled with hate and division, and we have to do something about it. George MacLeod said, I do it because Christ is risen. Both are good answers. William Sloan Coffin's answer gives voice to the courage and persistence of faithful Christian discipleship. George MacLeod's answer gives voice to the utter confidence in God's plans. Christ is risen. God is on the move. Of course we must act. How else can we bear witness to that resurrection and live into the life that flows from it? The story of Moses has the imprints of God all over it. And at the end of his life, Moses seemed to accept the limits that God had set on him and even find grace at the limits. His death was quiet. His burial was quiet. His followers knew that the focus needed to be on God's ongoing plans and not on the shrine of Moses. The only monument to Moses are those laudatory words at the end of the chapter. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform. That seems fair enough, Moses. You earned it. And God's promises will continue to be fulfilled in Joshua and in King David and Isaiah 
and the 12 disciples and women followers of Jesus, and Paul, and Barnabas, and St. Augustine, and Teresa of Avila, and John Calvin, and Sojourner Truth, and Riverside Presbyterian Church, and Columbia Theological Seminary, and all the people God calls to join in God's plans. And we, as we yearn for reconciliation, yet we give praise and thanksgiving that God goes on through all times and in all places toward God's great plan of healing and restoration. Are there limits for us? Yes. But there is grace at the limits, because after all, Christ is risen. Friends, 